so uh, a few things that I want to mention. Um, one, uh, do y'all like the room? Yes. yes. All right. So it's, yeah. Nice. I personally feel like I'm now leading a tent revival. <laughs> like at any moment. Yes. Like, hey, yes. I just brought this snake with me. Um, just kidding. No. But seriously. No, it really is. I'm like, this is like my grandpa, like 40 years ago, and just making it rain. So I, I do like this room. It's more intimate. You have no choice but to get a little closer. The, the other room, there's just so many options to get awkwardly in my blind spot. Like, the whole room does this. And you're just like, I'll turn to you, and I'll, I know all of your name. We're not a big church. But I do like, I do like this room. I like the... Uh, the, cl- the closeness of it. I think uh, community a lot of times gets overlooked on just how close people get to be together. And sometimes that's the basis of community. It's like, do we live life together? Do we live life close to each other? And I think sometimes that's just metaphorical, but I like to worship literally close to people. I like to to dive into God's Word where we're like the body of believers actually uh, existing as the body. So um, I really do enjoy this. I hope that y'all did. Last night went really well. Last night we kicked off Advent. Um, with uh, a night of worship, a night of reading scriptures together, and then we just walked through, um, we gave uh, a taste of what December is going to look like for Trinity Church. So each week in December, we're going to walk through an element of Advent, which is, which tonight is hope, next week will be love, uh, it will be... Joy and peace. Yeah. Um, I've memorized them all. They're great. Uh, and no way it's supposed to be a joke. I was like transitioning from my silly time into diving in, and then I've ruined that. So, uh, but last night was, was really just a, a beautiful time where we got to get together and just reorient our hearts. So, like, uh, like I said last night, a lot's going to come at you in December. December asks a lot of the average person, whether it be uh, family uh, obligations or, or work parties or, or making sure your kids have the present they, they want this week and hope that whatever they want this week is actually what they want on the 25th. Um, and all of the, the anxieties and the tensions that come with Christmas, uh, it's really important that we take a, a, a moment and just pause and then we say, hey, we can't miss the meaning of Christmas. And that gets oversaid and underexplained a lot, like the true meaning of Christmas. And, and that is really just looking at it through the lens of Advent, looking through the eager anticipation of our Messiah returning. We get to look back at what Messiah has already done for us while eagerly anticipating what he has yet still to do. So um, Advent for, for the body of believers is a time where we find ourselves, um, uh, it's a new space, let's, let's have some grace, uh, where we find ourselves in the middle of two realities. So like I just said, we, we, we as believers know that Jesus Christ came uh, and, and died on the cross for our sins, but we also know as believers that he's going to return again. He is, he is going to make all things new. He's going to fulfill all his promises. We serve a God of promises. We serve a God who, who gave his son, who, who came, who died on the cross, and who will return again. So for us as believers, we live in the middle of this. We we live in the, we know what he's already done, but we also know what he will do again. And it's important for us to understand that meaning, for us to, to live in those, between those two realities and to wait well. Um, I, I preach a lot about stepping into space. And when, when I say stepping into space, it's specifically for Advent, it means what we just talked about, how we're, we're going to um, understand the meaning of Christmas and, and live our lives in accordance to that understanding. And I never want us to teach from a place of head knowledge. 
I never want to get up here and just um, regale you with biblical uh, knowledge and stories. One, that's just not my who I am. I don't have the, the technical skills to regale really anyone. What I want to do is to break down our, the understanding of our faith so we can live it out. Uh, anything that gets preached from this pulpit and, and, and our Bibles to this congregation really is all about life application of our faith. My, my deepest desire, the staff's deepest desire, is that through this Advent series, um, you, you have a better understanding of Advent, so you have a better understanding of faith, and you can live that out in your families, at your work, and it's your everyday uh, routine. So, so when you handle obstacles, when you handle life, when you handle Christmas, when you handle Easter, when you handle whatever life throws at you, you look at it through the lens of Advent. You say, yes, there will be hope. Specifically tonight, we're going to land on hope. There is always hope, and hope can never be taken from us if we land on biblical hope, which falls at the feet of the promises of God. So this Advent uh, series, we're going to dwell a lot in, in the prophet of Isaiah. And uh, he's an Old Testament prophet. He, he's, a, he's a major prophet. Um, but he's the prophet that focuses the most on messianic promises. He's the, the prophet that, that points to uh, God's promises of redemptive work. So God had a plan from the beginning. From Genesis 1 to, to Revelation, God had a plan. And that plan is a redemptive work where, where God created all things in peace and shalom in the garden. And sin fractured that. And that wasn't the end of the story because we serve a loving God. Because we serve a loving God. He has a redemptive plan. Isaiah does a beautiful job of pointing to those promises, pointing to that plan, and, and how all things were going to be made new through the Messiah. So, so this week and the weeks to come, we're going to anchor what we learn in Isaiah. Isaiah is where we first see the word uh, uh, Emmanuel, God with us. We're gonna we're gonna walk through the meaning of what it is to have a Savior who is just not some some Zeus-like figure in the clouds or in the mountain, but we have we have a God, we have a, a triune God, three in one, Jesus Christ, who came to Earth and lived a perfect life for us. We're gonna we're gonna walk through Emmanuel. It, Isaiah itself means the Yahweh is salvation, and we're gonna see how his teachings, his writings, and his prophecies land us in a place where we can look at Advent with hope, joy, peace, and love. All right, uh, we're, tonight we're going to be in Isaiah 2, chapter 1 through 5. If you want to stand, um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible uh, close to you. Uh, we've not been in Isaiah before as a church, so if you see the wisdom literature, if you go to Psalms, then you, you move on to Proverbs, and then uh, through that, just keep going through the wisdom literature, and it's going to be your first major prophet. It's also going to be behind you, and I'm going to read it out loud. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall come forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and they shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and, they shall, uh, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nations, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray over us, and we'll dive in. 
God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity we have as your sons and daughters to dive into your word. God, I pray that our hearts may be changed and that our minds may be switched to, to Advent, to a time of waiting, to a time of eager anticipation. But we are waiting for you, for your, for your second coming, and for you to make all things new. God, I pray that for the next few moments, whatever's on our hearts, whatever's on our minds, that you would, you would remove those obstacles and that we may solely focus on your words and your ways. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, it's important to understand what you're reading and why you're reading it. So oh, Isaiah is, is really preaching uh, or, or, or prophesying to uh, the nation of Israel, so Judah and, and Jerusalem, and he is saying, hey, this is really bad right now. So he was a prophet in a really bad time to be a prophet in, in the Old Testament, and uh, a lot of society was, in, in their current view, just going uh, down the toilet. Like, we were, they were being conquered every other chapter, they were having a new king, a new king, a new king, they were, they were fleeing from their faith, they were coming back to their faith. It was a pretty standard view of Israel in the Old Testament where there's this roller coaster of faith. And what Isaiah was prophetically saying is, hey, there will be a time. There is a redemptive plan in works. We serve a sovereign God, and He will make all things new. He is sending a Savior. He is sending, uh, he is sending a Messiah. He is sending Emmanuel. Um, and he's, throughout his writings, he's just laying those out. And he's, he's describing what it's going to be like and, and how life will be. So let's just work through some of these verses. He says, It shall come to pass in later days. So later days just means... Um, a, a future uh, yet to be seen in the horizon. It's, it's literally transferred as future beyond the horizon. So Isaiah is not pretending to know when. He's not saying, hey, this is specifically. He's, he's prophetically saying this is what's going to happen. He does not say when it's going to happen. And he is saying to God's chosen people. So we see the, uh, the, the passage start off with, this is what I'm prophesying to Judah and Jerusalem. And it'd be easy to say, like, well, Tim, I'm not Judah and I'm not Jerusalem, so what are we talking about? But you have to look at these things by, by two lights. You have to say, yes, it's descriptive. This is literally what Isaiah wrote down, but it's also uh, prescriptive. It's also prophetic. So what he is saying is, hey, children of God, God's chosen people, this is the, the future that is promised through the Messiah, through the Messianic work. Well, today, we are God's chosen people. We are the Judea. We are Jerusalem. Uh, we are God's chosen people. He is, he is working through us. If you call Christ your Lord, then you are a son and daughter of God. So he is saying, Judah, Jerusalem, God's chosen people. In later days, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the highest place. Which for us... This day and age doesn't have the cultural importance that it did the first time it was written in the, in the first reader of Isaiah because the high ground we've kind of lost the importance of, right? None of us live on a mountain. There are no moats. There are no uh, forts. There is no refuges as far as our safety is concerned. But when he was writing this, the high ground was everything. If you wanted to establish a kingdom, if you wanted to establish rule and order, and you were the, the king or, or the head of all that was going on in that land, you had to establish the high ground because it was the easiest to defend. If you wanted to set yourself up uh, for a place of, of power and honor, then you were going to take the highest. If you look at... Um, castles and, and, and places of, of war and defense and Rome and all, all that kind of stuff, they always sought 
the high ground. And that's what uh, Isaiah is saying now. When Christ is going to come back and he's going to rule, he's going to rule from a place of honor. He's going to rule from a place, uh, the new Zion, which is going to be full of honor. So he's going to seek that high place. He's going to be in the highest of high places because if you are a ruler, that is where you set up. And that is how Christ is going to rule again. And then moving forward, he says, hey, there's going to be a time when uh, they, they beat uh, their swords to plowshares and their uh, spears to pruning hooks. And when I first read that, um, it was lost on me. I, I won't pretend that one of my spiritual gifts is like instant discernment in, in the biblical works. But I read over that, and I read over that, and I read over that, and I was like, hey, he's talking about a time when uh, Christ is going to come back. And when he's coming, he's, he's, he's telling about a time where Christ is going to set up a new Jerusalem, and he's going to rule. And then he's talking about a time now that they're beating their swords into plowshares. But then it, it, it clicked, and it talked about, okay, the hope that we have, the, the reason that we keep on living our lives in accordance to our faith is because we believe in, in biblical hope. And biblical hope is, is steadfast on the basis that the promise of God promises a better future than the present, right? So we know we are not living uh, in, in a heaven-like state or a garden-like state. We realize this world is broken. We realize that there are tribulations, there are uh, uh, brokenness, there is sin, there is evil. Um, that's not anything I have to talk y'all into. And and what Isaiah is saying is, hey, I know y'all are a people of war. I, Israel is a people of war, and frankly, America is a people of war. We are um, safe only because people have died in our stead on battlefields near and, and far. And honestly, we're continued to be safe uh, because other men and women say, I will keep up, I will bear arms here in America. So uh, the reality is if you replace sword with gun and, and spears with whatever, we are still a people that need to be safe. We still live in a broken world that needs people to do things uh, in the extremes to keep us safe. And what he's saying, when Christ comes back, you can get rid of that. You can beat your swords into pruning hooks, or you can beat your spears into plowshares. There will come a time when you can throw away your need to be safe and your need to be violent because we have a God making all things new. There will be no need. So it's the equivalent of saying, take your rifle and start using it as a shovel because you have no reason to fight again. You have a God who's going to make all things new. You have a God who's going to say, hey, I, I have wiped away the last tear. There will be no sting of death. There will be no sting of pain. Evil will meet its, its maker because I have returned and fulfilled the promises that I have originally laid out for my people. And, and it's easy for us to get excited about that, right? So I, I hear that, and um, it's not a secret, and it doesn't go understated that I make my, my weekly wages as a law enforcement officer. And it, it took me a while uh, to realize. So I came in... Um, to the profession, I don't have a great story that says, like, I, I knew I wanted to be a police officer from day one. Y'all all know my story, so just bear with me. It's part of the sermon. Um, but uh, I don't, I wish, and people say, when did you know you wanted to be a police officer? I get that all the time. And every time I'm tempted to say this great story about when I was 10, and, like, I just knew that, like, I wanted to be, I wanted to help people or, or something great like that. But the reality was, I remember um, I was sitting in Jason's Deli when I was 21, 
And uh, that's what we do. We eat at Chains in Mesquite. Don't judge me. I was sitting at Jason's Deli with my family, and the jobs that I thought I, that were going to work out were no longer going to work out. I was engaged to my beautiful wife, and she was a big proponent of like three meals, a roof, electricity, and we were just like going through stuff like, hey, all those things are great. I like those. They take money. We don't really have any of that. How can we change this scenario? And my mom's Googling stuff on her phone. She's like, hey, Mesquite, please hire me. And I was like... That sounds not like what I want to do, but you know what? They are hiring. Um, so I went. And that doesn't sound really great, but that, that really does lean to like, hey, we serve a sovereign God because there is nothing I've been more certain of in my life that I was geared, made, and designed to do what I'm doing right now. I was just too dumb to know it, and that's the definition of grace. Um, where God said, hey, I'm going to find your calling for you. Just keep following me. Um, so... And I remember thinking, like, this is going to be great. I don't really know anything about policing, but I know I've watched as much SVU as anyone in this room. <laughs> the irony is now I work at SVU, but that's another story. We don't have time for that. Um, and I remember it, it being a dark day for me when I realized nobody cared about the badge. Like, I thought, like, I'm going to get so much respect. People are going to do what I say. Life's going to be easy. I don't even know why people fight, because I got this badge. You don't want to fight me. The badge. Um, and I remember it being a, a, a rude awakening when nobody cared about the badge. They only just cared about the gun. They really were like, I, you're only going to do, I'm only going to do what I think you can make me do. Or is there the threat of doing? And it messed with my head for a while. Because really it just plays to the state of our world. Where you say, I'm going to do only what I have to do. Um, because we are a broken people who, who, who need the sword and who need uh, the spear. But then, where I find my hope, where I find my desire to say, like, I'm going to keep going down this road because I know there's a God who promises a day where I can take off my gun and throw it in the ground because it's useless metal. There's a day where I can take my sword and start just using it as a shovel because there will be no more war. Look how he ends this, and he says, they will, never shall they learn war again. There is a day when my child or my great-great-great-grandkid or whenever God comes back, he, don't, he won't understand the concept of war. He won't understand the concept of police. He won't understand the concept of, of, of violence or, or weapons. All of that will be abstract because we will, serve a, we will serve and live in front of a beautiful God who has made all things new. He says, oh, house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So there, there is this understanding that things are going to be so great. And there's, going to be un, there's this thing that understands that, that God has made and will make things new um, in His time and in His way. But there's also the understanding that we're not living there. Like, I still am going to put on uh, my badge and my gun tomorrow, and it would be very negligent for me just to leave the home with just the badge and hoping that works. That's not a great, that's not a great recipe for me to return home. So um, that's where we find ourselves today, and that's why we are living in the already, not yet. So we live in the already. We, we know that we serve a God of promises, and that He has sent His Son, uh, and that His Son has come in accordance to prophecy as our Messiah, as our, uh, our Savior. But we also know that He will come again. And between those two times is the reality of which we, we live. And we rest in the certainty of our salvation while, while looking back and yearning for the returning of Christ. So that is where hope enters. Hope enters when we say, hey, I know life isn't sweet yet, but I know life will be beautiful at some point. 
Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy, peace, and believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. So, so what, Rome, what Paul is writing to, to the church of Rome right now is he's saying, Hey, we serve a God of hope. He is the author of hope. He is the sustainer of hope. All hope rests in God because He is the person who sent this whole thing into motion. He's the person who sent His only Son. And He's the person who's going to send His Son again to make all things new. So all hope rests in God. He is the source, supplier, inspirer, and author of hope. But here's what we have to understand. We have to look at our life through biblical hope and not through worldly wishing. And they're, they're, they're catastrophically different, but we interchange them a lot. Thus, we set ourselves up for false hope and set ourselves up, set ourselves up for failure. It is very easy for us to say, you know what, I hope this is going to happen. No, what you're doing is you're wishing. You're wanting things to happen. Wishing has to do with probability. Hoping has to do with promises. We rest in the promises of God because He has promised us everything and He has, he has fulfilled everything He's ever said He will do. Now, probability says, hey, I'm just going to be an optimist. I'm going to look at a really bad situation. So we live in a broken world, and I'm not an optimist. I don't know this to be true, um, but I know some optimists. They're relatively annoying. And you say, hey, I'm going to look. I'm joking. I'm not. Everyone y'all know it. Like the road, Sometimes the glass is just full. Chill. It's going to be okay. Uh, so, so that's not what we're saying. We are, I'm not trying to get y'all out there and give you false hope, and you get up there and say, hey, this... This world's falling apart. Sin's really fracturing it. But I'm just going to be optimistic about it. I'm going to look at the best version of reality and just wish that that comes true. That's not where we rest. That's, that's not resting at all. That's you setting yourself up for failure. If you, if you look upon uh, the wrong things and put your hope in the wrong things, that's false hope and that will ultimately fail you. And we are, as believers, we are defined by where we rest in our hope. Where, what you put your hope in defines you as a person and as a child of God. If you put your hope in, in your spouse, in your kids, in your job, in, in your friends, then you have set yourself up to fail because of false hope. If you, put your false, if you put your hope in anything other than the promises of God, you are gearing yourself up for heartache. It is easy for me, uh, a, a 30-something newish dad, i got two kids, I haven't figured out either one of them yet, uh, I'm newish married, we've only been married about a decade, um, and, and to say like I have things figured out would be laughable, and if I started preaching that way, I do expect you all to leave. Um, so I do a lot of things off like, man, I just really need this to go my way, right? I just need the nap, I, I need a two-hour nap. Like, I need, I really want a two-hour nap. I really want um, uh, my marriage to go the way I need it to go. I really want my work to do this, and, th and my wants and my wishes. And it's really easy to start just transitioning those wants and those desires and those wishes to hope. Like, man, I really hope my boss likes my work. I really, I really, really hope that my kids act right. I really hope that I can be the person uh, that, that God called me to be my wife. And all of those things are good things in and of themselves. It's okay for, for me to want to do the best I can at work. And it's okay for me to be the, want to be the person that God's called me to be. But if I start putting the cart before the horse and put my hope in that, I will set myself up for failure. If I say, I'm going to put my hope in my ability to be a good husband to Casey Joe, then I've set both of us, us up for due. Because I will fail her. She will fail me. We are broken people, and we are just living our lives in accordance to the way that we, we, we think God called us to be. But once we put in our hope 
But once we, we reorient ourselves and say, no, I'm going to hope. I'm going to put my, my hope in the promises of God. I'm going to put my, my, my orient my heart to the way that God's called me to be. That's when real life changes. That's when you can rest. And ultimately, um, we are called to rest in the hope of God. So moving forward, I want us to look at Romans real quick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sum this up with some of the writings in Paul. Paul can do it a lot better than I can. If you turn to Romans 8, 18 through 25, Paul pens a lot of words. And I really want just, if you have a Bible, open it to Romans 8. We're going to be in 18 through 25. Uh, he writes a lot of the words that, that sum up the average life of, of an American or a, just a Christian in general who is just waiting for a better day, who is hoping for a better day. For I consider the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and to obtain the free freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions of sons and the redemption of our body. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So what Paul is saying here, we are eagerly groaning, whether we know it or not. If you, if you are under the impression you're living your best life right now, that is not true. The best life is coming later. But if, if you're saying, I'm killing it right now, there is something inside of us that is eagerly groaning, that is eagerly waiting, and eagerly saying like, I know that, 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 that life is not fair, but God is faithful, and there is, a, there is a better version of it out there, and I'm just here hoping. I'm just here waiting. And ultimately, as we close up tonight, um, the reason that we, we study Scripture the way we do, the reason that we're walking through Advent the way we do, is because it's my hope that we wait well. That's really what it comes down to in the life of a believer is if you understand the hope of God, if you understand the love of God, if you understand the joy of God and you understand the peace of God, then through understanding those, those, those tenets, those, those foundational pieces, those pillars of your life, it allows you to wait well. It allows you to live well in your calling of Christ. So my hope and my prayer for us tonight and through the next few weeks and as we live out Advent and then start a new year together as the body of believers is that we would wait well and that we would rest well and we would rest well in the hope of God. Here in a second, Eric's going to come and sing our last song. And I pray that uh, throughout your week that you start to orient your heart uh, through this Christmas time through the lens of Advent. Let me pray over us. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have just to, 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 to vest in, to, to live in the hope and to the already not yet. That we say, God, we know that there is a better future coming and we know that because you promised it. And you are a God who keeps your promises and you are a God who loves his people. God, I pray for the next few weeks we would just soak up all that we can on this Advent season so that we would not be caught off guard and we would not be distracted by the, the, the bells and 
and the rhythms of, of Christmas uh, culturally, but we would know what the real me meaning for Christmas is, and we may live out our faith. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.